podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Boys and girls, two footed podcast Monday, December 6th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield, our VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from. So, for example, if you're a UK expat living in Spain or France or wherever it is you are and want to access BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, SkyGo, you can use your Liberty Shield VPN, to do so while also keeping your data safe. Use the code EPL599 to get 599 off your first month, meaning it is one quid for your first month. It's 699 a month thereafter, but there is no contract, so you're not tied into anything. You can download instantly from the Liberty Shield site and get using straight away across multiple devices Use that code EPL599 at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 and RED10 to get 10% off at those respective stores on Etsy for the next couple of months. Right, folks, nine games over the weekend, some surprising results, some surprising performances, some breaking news, and the beginning of a new era, apparently so. Right, let's start with West Ham 3, Chelsea 2. West Ham United claiming another big scalp this weekend, beating Chelsea in no small part due to a performance of utter lunacy from Eduard Mendy. Mendy, who has, to his credit, been very, very good since joining Chelsea, was atrocious in this game. Chelsea went 1-0 up, Thiago Silva scoring the only goal, scoring the first goal. Uh, a header where he jumped only to make it look like he'd risen off the ground. If he had stayed standing, I think he would have been about as high off the ground as he was. He kind of lifted his legs and didn't really spring at all. But free header, really good header, directed it very well into the corner of the net, gave Fabianski no real chance at all to make the save. Manuel Lanzini made it 1-1 from a penalty on 40. And this was the first um, Mendy moment of madness. Ball played back to him. Under no pressure at all. Takes a bad touch. Gets pressed by Jared Bowen. Gets turned the wrong way. And rather than just kicking it out for a corner, which is all he had to do, just get rid of it. He tries to take a touch to right himself to clear it down the field. Bowen steps in, Mendy hacks him down, and it's a blatant penalty. And no amount of cribbing and crying is going to change the fact that it's a blatant penalty. Lanzini steps up, it's a great penalty, strikes it very, very well, gives the keeper no chance. Mason Mount put Chelsea back in front on 44, brilliant goal. Great cross, cross come pass from Zajic from a weird angle. But it is a hell of a volley from Mason Mount. He just sort of passes it on the volley into the corner of the net. Again, gives Fabianski no chance. Can't have any criticism for Fabianski on either West Ham goal. You could maybe have some criticism on the defenders 
because they were a little bit lax and gave the Chelsea players a little bit too much space in their own box. But a tremendous finish by Mount. Into the second half, West Ham come out with the tails up, build some momentum. Antonio trying to do a bit of hustle and bustle in the penalty area. Ball breaks loose. Jared Bowen comes on to it and just hits it. Just hits it first time. It's very central. Very, very central. And you have to ask massive questions about Mendy's positioning. It's really, really poor from Mendy again. And then it seemed like it was going to finish 2-2. It was playing out in a pattern that suggested it was going to be 2-2. And then Mendy decided that 2-2 wasn't for him. Masuaka on the left floats a badly hit cross goalwards. And Mendy, rather than taking a couple of steps and catching the ball, reacts really, really late to it. Almost as if he's kind of waiting for the ball to turn in the air, then has to fling himself at it and succeeds only in palming the ball into his own net. Absolutely shocking from Eduard Mendy. A dreadful, dreadful performance. His first really shocking performance. He's had some bad moments, but they have been fleeting. This was an overly shocking performance. Big credit to West Ham, though. Great result for them. But they may potentially have lost Kurt Zuma for a bit of time, waiting to hear what the latest on his knee is. He said afterwards he heard something pop in his knee, which is is rarely a good thing. Uh, he'll have a scan, I think, today. So we should know more maybe by tomorrow or the day after. Uh, they cannot afford to lose him. Having already lost Ogbonna, they would then be down to just Dawson and Diop. Diop, by the way, I thought had a very good game. I thought he had a really, really good game. Um, so I was happy to see him in the team. Thomas Suchek was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, the way he controlled that midfield. The Chelsea midfield of Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek did not work at all. Made them very, very soft in there. But their bigger problem was a lack of dynamism up front. I mean, Mount, Havertz and Zayic, all talented, all have a lot to offer. Not together, though. There's no pace there. There's no burst in that front three. And they made it quite easy for West Ham to nullify their attack in open play. Other than that one goal, the ball from Zayic is brilliant and the, the volley is first time from from Mount. Other than that, Chelsea just looked really stagnant and really stale up front. They've got to figure out a way to get Lukaku into this team and get him playing at his best level. Chelsea dropped from first to third in the league. They won't be happy. Mendy certainly won't be happy at having conceded three goals, having only conceded six in the previous 14 games. Uh, West Ham stay fourth. Big win for them. They're now six points behind Chelsea. They have a two-point cushion on Tottenham, who are now fifth, but Tottenham do have a game in hand. And a three-point cushion on Manchester United. Arsenal can close it to one point tonight. Uh, we'll come to that later. But this is a big win for West Ham. It's a big win off the back of a little mini slump. So credit to Moyes. Changed the shape a little bit. Went to a back three. But the style was the same. The approach was the same. And it worked very, very well. So massive credit there. Newcastle United won a football match. Newcastle United won Burnley nil. Do you know what? It actually wasn't as dreadful a game as expected. It, was, it wasn't good, but it wasn't dreadful. Uh, Burnley were dreadful. Burnley had a couple of half-decent chances. Um, the best one fell to Goodmanson, I thought. But aside from that, they weren't great. Uh, Newcastle did play some good football. And there were some good combinations I thought I think that partnership of, of Jolington and Wilson is looking better and better. It, it looks a lot like the uh, Josh King, Callum Wilson partnership. St. Maximum was floating wing to wing. Almiron was floating wing to wing. Those two seem to have been entrusted 
with the creative side of things. And it'll take time, but they'll get there. Uh, Joe Willock was box to box all game long. I thought he showed good energy. Shelby stung the palms of, of Nick Pope at one point, but all in all just did a good job of keeping the midfield ticking over. They didn't have a whole lot of defending to do. What they did, they did reasonably well. They win the game through a Callum Wilson goal on 40. That will be giving Nick, Nick Pope nightmares. Pope comes to try and claim a cross. He's about 16 yards out of his goal. He gets both hands on the ball. As his arms come down, as he comes down, Fabian Schaar, who's not actually doing anything, just kind of gets caught in between Pope's arms. The ball squirms loose. Pope falls over. Wilson picks the ball up, dribbles past a man, and lashes a shot home. Burnley complained. I don't think they had any position to complain. Nick Pope should have known better. He could see Shar as he approached the ball. He should have just been punching that ball to get it clear. And if he had done, his team would have got a draw. Instead, it's a defeat. It's a big, big win for Newcastle. They lift themselves off the foot of the table. They're... 19th, level on points with Burnley, who are 18th. Burnley do have a game in hand. They're only three points behind Watford. Five then to Everton, six to a group of Southampton, Leeds and um, Crystal Palace. Now, Newcastle have a very difficult run coming up. So this win was really important for them to get some points on the board, to get some belief. And, you know, look, given the way certain teams are playing right now, maybe they can spring a surprise. Maybe they can go to the King Power and beat Leicester at the weekend. I wouldn't expect them to win any of the three after that. And then it's Everton just before New Year's. Who knows what's going on with Everton or what they'll be like then. But with the way Leicester are playing... It wouldn't be a like it will it would be a big surprise because Newcastle are awful, but it would it's not outside the realms of possibility that the tune could go to the King Power and get a result. For Burnley, you know, as as I mentioned, they're eighteenth. It's not dark days for them yet, but that's the first defeat in a while, and it had been coming. But they do have some favourable games coming up. But West Ham at home will be tough. But still a game they could pick up a point in. Then you get Burnley at home. Then it's away to Villa. At home to Everton. So again, points to be picked up there, potentially. And they're going to need them. They are going to need them. That Watford game is huge. Because Watford are three points clear of them. And if they can win that game, they will go above Watford. So that game is massive for them. This was not as terrible a game of football as I thought it would be. Uh, Wolves nil, Liverpool won. Divock Origi in the 94th minute off the bench to give Liverpool the win. Wolves, to their credit, did defend really well, but that is about all they did. They didn't really try and attack. They didn't really try and play much football. They tried to hit Liverpool on the counter-attack a couple of times through Adama and through Wang. None of that paid off for them. The only shot on target they had was a Dendonker snapshot from the edge of the box. Liverpool missed big chances in this game. Salah, Jota had two big chances. Mane missed a good chance. But they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going. And eventually they got the rewards. And they did deserve to win this game. Liverpool did deserve to win this game. This game. It's important to note that, because oftentimes you'll see a goal that changes the result late in a game. And the team who gets that goal and improves their result from the fixture didn't deserve it. That can't be said in this one. If Wolves had gotten a point, it would have been a very hard-earned point. They did work very, very hard for it. And like I say, defensively, they were outstanding. Eight Nuri, that's one of the best performances you'll see against Mo Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold. He was outstanding. But... Liverpool for sure deserve this victory. And their their record now with Fabinho and Thiago is obscene. 15 games. 
14 wins, one draw, 40 goals scored, six conceded. It's outstanding. Genuinely outstanding. Uh, the third part of the midfield this weekend was Henderson. After a really good performance in midweek, he was really poor in this one. And it was no surprise when he was hooked. And quite telling as well. When the captain is the first one hooked off, that is quite telling. Liverpool are second in the league, one point behind Manchester City. And starting to pick up that momentum that they've been looking for. Four-game win streak is always nice to have. They'll carry that forward now. Aston Villa at the weekend is a big one. And then it's Newcastle. They've obviously got Milan this week. But Villa, Newcastle, and then Tottenham before they play Leicester in the League Cup quarterfinal. And then Leeds on Boxing Day. Leicester again on the 28th of September. And then a big one. Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on January 6th. That one has title six-pointer spray-painted all over it. For Wolves, they're eighth in the table. I think they'd be very, very, they'd have been very, very happy with that before the season. They certainly would have been happy with that after five games. They have a tough run of games coming up now, though, and they're going to need to start scoring some more goals. Next up, it's City away, then Brighton away, then Chelsea at home. Three really difficult games. Then Watford at home, then Arsenal away. Manchester United away. So this is going to be a very telling six-game run for Wolves. The good run they went on from Southampton through to Burnley. Bar West Ham, those were all bottom half teams. All teams they should be getting results against. And in truth... They'll have been disappointed with draws against Norwich and Burnley. They will feel they should have four points more than they currently do. They'll feel that that was four points dropped. They need to turn things around in in front of goal quite soon because City will not, will not allow you too many chances. And City are a really good bet to score in pretty much every game. If you can't score, you're not getting anything from the result. Southampton won, Brighton won. I would say this was an example of an undeserved late goal changing the result. I think Southampton were by far the better team in this game, personally. I thought Brogia caused all kinds of problems for that Brighton defence. He could have had a hat-trick in the first half. I thought he was really, really good. He did score a very good goal on 29 minutes. And this was one of the better Southampton performances that I've seen this season. I thought Livermento was very good. I thought Romeo had a really strong game in midfield, dealt very well with Basuma and Mwepu. Walker Peters dealt quite easily, I thought, with Tariq Lamptey. Had a good bit of help from Tella, his pace coming back to help. But... All things considered, I, I really did feel that Southampton were the better team and deserved to win this game, even though they had the same amount of shots, the same amount of shots on target, and Brighton had more uh, possession. I really did feel like Southampton should have been two, if not three, clear by the time Neil Mopay scores the equaliser on 98 minutes. And this is entirely the fault of James Ward-Prowse. It's a Brighton free kick. On the edge of the box. And Ward-Prowse decides. At the last minute. To rush backwards. From his spot in the wall. Onto the line. And doesn't react quickly enough. To get out. When the, when the free kick is blocked. He doesn't react quick enough to get out. Motors shot. Or, or pass. Or whatever it was. Finds. Um, Mopay. That's a really good finish. It's a very, very good finish. You can't take anything away from Neil Mopay in the moment, but Ward-Prowse, you'd really be asking questions about what his, what his head was thinking at the moment, at that time. Really, really poor. Uh, Southampton are 15th in the table. That's back-to-back draws for them. They're level on points with Leeds and Crystal Palace. 
only one point off Brentford in 12th. So it'll, the, the bottom half of the table is um, is really, really tight. Guy is telling me that Ralph Ranyak blamed Alex McCarthy for the goal. I, maybe it was him who called Ward-Prowse back. I haven't read that. But um, if it was McCarthy who called him back, then it's on McCarthy. But Ward-Prowse still needs to react quicker and get back out. He still needs to react quicker and get back out. Um, Hassan Hootl has made a rod for his own back with McCarthy, though. Um, oh, so McCarthy was injured and couldn't move, but didn't tell the manager. So they couldn't make a substitution. That's that's fairly common practice, but the thing that will infuriate Hassan Hootl is he did have a substitution to make. He did have one sub left to make. Now, the goalkeeper he had on the bench at the weekend is Harry Lewis, who has played a sum total of zero games in the last four years for Southampton. He has played a sum total of zero games in the last three and a half years at any level, other than under 23s, which doesn't count. He played a season on loan with Dundee United in 17-18. He played three games in the League Cup for Southampton in 16-17. He has not at all played in the last few games. The last few seasons, rather. That is um, that is not exactly the situation you want to throw a goalkeeper in late in a game like that. Now, whether or not he knew, I don't know. So I'm just looking at this story on Sky. Uh, Southampton boss Ralph Hassenhutl insists he would have replaced Alex McCarthy with youngster Harry Lewis during the draw with Brighton had he known about his injury. Today I had one change, but I didn't take. I couldn't take it because he didn't say anything. And for me, that is not acceptable. Ralph Hassenhutl has blasted Alex McCarthy's lack of professionalism for failing to admit the extent of his hamstring injury that cost Southampton two points against Brighton. Neil Mopay's last-ditch tap... It wasn't a tap-in. That's a bit harsh. Um, scrambled Brighton, a 1-1 draw with the French striker played onside by James Ward-Prowse. The Saints skipper raced back to cover McCarthy's left post from Jakob Motors' added-time free kick, with the home keeper fearing he was not mobile enough to protect the whole goal. Whole goal. A furious Hassan Hootl was left to lament a victory that slipped away in a manner he conceded entirely avoidable. Saints boss insisted he would have replaced McCarthy. If you have a goalkeeper that is not 100% fit in the moment and cannot jump, and then you send someone back into the line, oh yeah. I, I still think it's a bit harsh to criticize, criticize his lack of professionalism. I don't think that's a lack of professionalism. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's him being that old-style pro who doesn't complain about things. And yes, Hassan Hootl has every right to be furious. But at the same time, at the same time, they should have had that game over and done with beforehand. They had the opportunities. To put put Brighton away. Oh well, they live and they learn. Brighton are ninth in the league, three draws in a row. That's eight draws on the season, the most in the Premier League. So very typical of Brighton. Lots of draws. Still haven't won a game since mid September in the Premier League. Uh, up next for them is Tottenham. And then Wolves, both home games. Then Manchester United away. And if they fail to win any of those three, it will then be three months in the Premier League without a win. Three months without a win. is And to still be top half? I don't know whether that says more about them or about the league. Um, Wolves are being linked to... Or sorry, Wolves. Uh, Southampton are being linked with Willie Caballero as an emergency signing. It would make sense. It would make sense. Willie's been around a long time. 
been in the Premier League a long time, very experienced. He's the type you can throw in for a game or two here or there. We'll move on to Watford 1, Manchester City 3. Um, City not nearly as good as they had been in previous weeks. This was City... This was City at their boring best, where they're just not fun to watch. Everything's very robotic. Everything's very well drilled. They're still a tremendous football team, but there's no excitement in their game. And there was no excitement in their game. A big part of that is Grealish. Grealish came back into the team as the false nine. Um, Didn't really impact the game a whole lot. Didn't really have a good game. Missed a sitter. Uh, got cleared out on the halfway line at one point and rolled around on the ground a little bit. Aside from that, he had a slight part in the third goal where he kind of ran really slowly into the box. Nobody tried to tackle him. When they did, he played the ball backwards. And then three passes later, it lands with Bernardo Silva, who scores. But aside from that, City are just better without him. They just are better without him. Uh, Raheem Sterling had put City 1-0 up on four minutes with a good header from a Phil Foden cross. Bernardo made it two on 31, following up an Ilkay Gundogan shot that was saved. Tidy finish from a narrow angle. Tidy finish from a narrow angle. Bernardo's playing brilliantly at the minute. Second best player in the league this season. He is a sensational footballer. Um, City fans are getting carried away. Let's remember that they were happy to sell him in the summer to to bring in Grealish. He was being moved out to bring in Grealish. That's what was happening. And you can try and paint it whatever way you want. Oh, he wanted to leave England. If he was happy, he wouldn't have wanted to leave. The reason he was unhappy, because you're bringing in Jack Grealish to play as a number eight, which is his position. And that got binned off after one game. Grealish, the left winger, has since been binned off. Now he's a false nine. He's had two games there, one against Liverpool, one against Watford. Not impressed in either. He was dreadful against Liverpool. He's a bit better in this one, to be fair. And he looked a bit more lively and a bit more involved. But aside from getting absolutely upended on the halfway line and missing a sitter, that was kind of his two biggest involvements in the game. Uh, Bernardo made it three on 63. That chance I mentioned. Grealish moves into the box. It's really weird. It's like the game stops. And Grealish isn't quite sure what he's doing. And he kind of drifts into the box with the ball. Plays it back, I think, to Foden. Who plays it to Rodri. Who plays it to Bernardo. Who cuts inside and finishes into the far corner. Great goal. Like I say, Bernardo's outstanding. Um... It is time for Danny Rose to retire. If there was anyone left unsure, this game should confirm it. He was atrocious in this game. Uh, Chucho Hernandez off the bench made it 3-1 on 74. Uh, tidy finish off a rebound. But that was about all. That was a rebound of his own shot as well, which was interesting. You don't see that very often. Um, that was about it from Watford. They had one more half chance after that, but Edison made a semi-decent save. City were dominant, created 26 shots, 13 on target, but they weren't exciting. There was no fluidity to this performance. It it just, it lacked the normal grace of a City win. But Pep won't care. Top of the league is all he'll worry about, and that's all they should worry about. They get Leipzig tomorrow in the Champions League. Then it's uh, Wolves and Leeds, both at home. A trip to Newcastle, Leicester at home, and Brentford away. Sorry, yeah, Leicester Leicester at home and Brentford away. And that wraps up City's 2021. For Watford, 17th in the league. Three points clear of Burnley, but Burnley do have two, uh, sorry, a game in hand and a two-goal better goal differential. Watford now have the third worst defence in the league. And things are generally not going very well. And they are scoring goals. 
they do have a decent attack. You've only got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You've only got seven teams in the league with a better attack than Watford this year. But they are the first team to reach ten defeats, which isn't isn't great. I mean, ten defeats from fifteen isn't great at all. Um Ranieri needs to sort something out with that defense. It is it is painful to watch. It really is painful. You have to feel bad for any goalkeeper playing behind Truster Kong, Cathcart, and Danny Rose. Cathcart and Danny Rose is the worst side of a defense ever in Premier League history. You're not finding a worse left-side centre-back, left-back pairing ever in Premier League history than that pair. And, like, you can say, oh, well, Cathcart used to be good. Yeah, used to be. He used to be okay. He's now 32, and he's fairly average at championship level. And Danny Rose is probably the worst player in the division now. Probably the worst player in the division. He is so far past his best. He's almost lapping himself. It's it's unfair to be putting him out there. He doesn't look fit at all. He doesn't look fit at all. Their squad's a mess. They've got a ton of injuries. It's not good times for Watford. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll run through Sunday's games. We'll have a look at what Gart Crooks has gotten wrong, and then we've got some gossip. I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, Sunday saw four games in the Premier League. Leeds United 2, Brentford 2. I told Guy this would be a fun game. Tyler Roberts put Leeds 1 up on 27 minutes. A great ball from Rafinha. Roberts with a tidy finish. Uh, Baptiste made it 1-1 on 54 minutes. A nice disguised shot that Melier I don't think saw. Sergi Canos made it 2-1 on 61. Canos had to play up front in this game because Ivan Tony is out with COVID. Canos gets his goal. Really, really good finish. Really impressed with the control and the strength he showed to her hold off a defender and a good finish. And Patrick Bamford, again, a tall guy. If Bamford plays, he might score. Patrick Bamford, 95th minute. Great corner from Rafinha. Luke Ayling gets a good header to it, but it is heading wide until Bamford sticks out his leg, catches it with his thigh and sends it into the net and then celebrates like a fellow who hasn't played in months. It's just an overwhelming sense of relief uh, for everybody at Ellen Road. Good result for Leeds. Good result for Brentford. To be fair, to go there without Tony and get a result is really, really good for them. Uh, big news for Leeds today. It looks like 49ers Holdings, the parent company of the San Francisco 49ers, owned by the York family, it looks like they will take full ownership of Leeds United over the next two years. I think it's by January 2024 they have the option to buy the remaining 56% of the club that they do not currently own. Uh, if you don't know, the York family, well, it's not so much the York family. Um, the San Francisco 49ers were bought in 1977 by a man called Edward Di Bartolo. His daughter, Denise, who is married to um, Jed York. No, Jed York's the son, isn't he? John York, sorry. John York. Um they own the club together, John York and Denise Di Partolo. And their son, Jed, runs the 49ers, while Denise and John run the 49ers holdings and all that's involved in that. So um, it looks like they are going to buy Leeds United and become full owners. Now, they've done quite a good job with the 49ers. Certainly her father did an amazing job. Uh, when he owned the the franchise and they won, I think, three or four, four Super Bowls. 
I think four Super Bowls. I could be wrong, but I'm almost certain I'm not. Let's just check that because that'll bother me otherwise. They won one, two, three, four, five Super Bowls. Five Super Bowls under his tenureship. 81, 84, 88, 89, and 94. They were regularly in the Super Bowl um, throughout the tenureship, including under Denise. They just have lost both of their last two uh, ventures to the biggest game in American football. They father actually owned the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Penguins from like 77 to 91. Um, and it's obviously now owned by Liverpool's owner, John W. Henry. So, you know, there's a little bit of symmetry there. Um, yeah, look, this should be exciting for Leeds fans. Um, I think they owe the current owner a massive debt of gratitude. He properly pulled them out of the mud. But uh, it's time for someone with more wealth to take over. And, and they feel like, you know, the York family could be it. So fair play. Fair play. Good result for Leeds, like I said. Uh, they are 14th in the table. Level with Crystal Palace and Southampton. One point behind Brentford, who are 12th. They've got Chelsea away next. Then Manchester City away. So two really, really tough games coming up for Leeds. Then they get Arsenal at home. Then Liverpool away. So you're not going to find a tougher run. They also get Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. So their next five are difficult. Chelsea away, City away, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Villa at home. No one in the league has a tougher five-game run coming up than Leeds. They just need to get through it and get through it without losing each and every game. Pick up a couple of points and you should be fine. Uh, for Brentford, like I say, 12th in the league. Up next, Watford at home. That's a game they have to win. You have to be beating Watford at home. Then they get Manchester United at home. Again, it's a game they can win. Not necessarily a must win, but a game they can win. Then Southampton away. Then Chelsea in the League Cup. Then Brighton away. And then Manchester City at home to finish out this calendar year. Moving on to Manchester United, a 1-0 victory over Crystal Palace. I won't say that United played well because they didn't, but they played like a football team. They played like a team that had actually been coached, actually been given some sort of technical and tactical instruction. And that is huge credit to Ralph Ranić. They did create a number of turnovers. The pressing was not good, but at least they were active. And at least they were trying. So that's a positive. So in that regard, it's a good start to the six months they'll have under Ralph Ranić. Uh, Fred with the winner. A right-footed shot from the edge of the area. Bending and dipping over the corner, the, the keeper rather, into the top corner. Um, whisper it quietly, but Fred's been their best player since Ollie got sacked. He just has. Fred has been their best player since Ollie got sacked. Villarreal, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Palace. Fred's been their best player. It's kind of funny, just considering how many fans had sort of lost all patience with the man. Um, good to see a, an actual tactical setup from Ranić, though. Uh, went with a box midfield, McFred in there, and then Bruno and Sancho gave them quite a bit of freedom. The role didn't really suit Sancho, but it did suit Bruno to an extent, and he had some decent involvement in the game. But all things considered, uh, United can be pleased. Palace weren't great. This was a performance along the lines of their performance against Villa. They were sloppy. They were a bit flat. They couldn't really establish themselves in the game. Couldn't really get themselves out of their own half. Some of their players' lack of high technical level was exposed a bit just by being pressured. Um, I think we saw Alex uh, Conor Gallagher rather have his worst game 
since joining the club. Um, for United, it means that they go sixth in the table. Three points behind West Ham. Which, when you consider United have been awful this season and West Ham have largely been quite good. Yeah, it, it, it does tell you what a weird season we're having. It really does. United have Young Boys on Wednesday. Then they get Norwich away, Brentford away, Brighton at home, Newcastle away, and then Burnley at home. That should be five wins. That should be five wins. United have a very favourable December, a favourable January, and a favourable February. United's season doesn't get difficult again until March. The schedulers have been very, very kind to them with how their season's worked out. But March is really tough. Everton is, or sorry, April is, they have Everton in April. April is pretty tough. May's not bad. But yeah, this is a, this is a favourable run of games for them. Uh, for Palace, 13th, they are dropping. They've lost three in a row without a win in four now. They have Everton at home next weekend. They will really want to win that game to get themselves back on track. Then they get Southampton at home and then they go to Watford. So possibility to bounce back with you know a couple of wins here, get some points back on the board and get themselves back into the top half of the table. Um, Tottenham 3, Norwich 0. Good win for Tottenham. Again, they look more like a Conte team. You can tell... The changes that he's made, the improved mindset, the improved attitude, the improved work rate. Seven shots on target as well. That was about a month's worth of shots on target for them before he arrived. He has them humming. He really does. Now, Norwich had chances in this game. Timo Puki missed a good chance. Adam Ide missed a good chance. But Lucas Moura scored an absolute worldie on 10 minutes. 1-2 with Son, beat a couple of players, turned around, went one way, went a different way, and then smashed it in the top corner from about 25 yards out. Brilliant goal. Absolutely brilliant goal. Uh, Davins and Sanchez made a 2 on 67. Young Min Son made a 3 on 77. Harry Kane had some good chances in the game. One in particular where he's played in down the right and he tried to chip the keeper. Harry Kane in form and with confidence scores that. But I did feel like he was getting better and better as the game went on. So with a bit of luck for Spurs, Kane is going to start scoring soon. Um, Tottenham are fifth in the table, which they have been awful this season. As bad, if not worse, than United. They still have a negative goal differential, minus one. And yet... If they win their game in hand, which is a way to Burnley, Spurs will be fourth. Spurs will be fourth without Kane having played well yet. Conte Ball. I think they'll get fourth. I think he will get them fourth. He's a top four manager in the world. The only ones in the league on his level are Pep and Klopp. Tuchel's not there yet. There's a good squad there. There's a couple of great players there. I think Tottenham are looking a good bet for fourth. They're only starting to improve under him. Wait till they really get rolling. But that's three wins in a row in the league. And... Um, been a while since Spurs won three in a row. Well, I know they won three in a row at the start. I know they won three in a row at the start of the season, but that was a while ago. It's been a while since they won three in a row at this point of a season. Normally, the last couple of years under Jose and under Poch, they were stumbling and bumbling in the dark. Uh, for Norwich, they fall to the bottom of the table. 
It's a bad result. The performance wasn't terrible, though. And 3-0 didn't really reflect how close the game was for spells. They need to find a goal scorer. And they've got to get Grant Hanley out of the team. He's so, so poor. He really is so, so poor. They've got to pick up some points again soon. They've had this decent little run. Four games unbeaten. Couple of wins, couple of draws. Now they get Manchester United at home. Then they get Villa at home. The Dean Smith revenge match. Then it's West Ham away. Then Arsenal at home. And then Palace away. So it's not an easy run at all. But there is potential there. For a couple of upsets. And to take some points. At this point. If they don't pick up points between now and Christmas. We can probably kiss them goodbye. For another season. And send them on their merry way. To the championship. Final game then. Aston Villa 2, Leicester 1. The story of this game is Leicester's atrocious defending. Absolutely abhorrent. It it just, oh my God. I've never seen a team get as bad defensively from such a good starting position as they have under Rodgers. And it's largely the same defenders that were there. Largely the same players. He hasn't made massive changes to the squad. He's added a couple of players here and there. It's the same keepers, the same centre-backs, same midfielders. And my God, this was just painful. They went 1-0 up, a really good Harvey Barnes goal. He drove at Konza and just passed the ball between Konza's legs into the far corner. And they'd look good to that point. And I thought Leicester could well tonk Villa here. Villa had been awful. Villa were garbage until half-time. But somehow three minutes after Leicester scored, Villa equalised. Set-piece. Bit of aerial pinball in the box. Emi Buendia gets a free header. No more than 10 yards from goal. Stepping onto the ball. Not having to jump for it. Stepping onto the ball. He gets a free header. I don't know if it's going in. But it clips Ezri Kanza's foot. The light as it touches. And goes into the corner. What Leicester were doing. Trying to claim offside. I have no idea. Adam Ola Luckman is clearly playing him onside. He leads the protests when he can see he's the one playing them onside. The, the rest of the first half was a bit of a damp squib. Leicester had a couple of half-decent chances, but nothing to write home about. Out they come for the second half. And again, Leicester just get undone by a simple, simple set-piece. You know how I always say Leeds are the worst set-piece team I've ever seen? Leicester may be the worst set-piece team I've ever seen. Somehow Konza gets left at the back post all alone. No, yes, Konza all, all alone at the back post. Sionchu's in front of him, but he's actually marking Mings. So either Sionchu's been left 2v1 or Konza's been left by himself. I'm not sure what the tactical instruction is that's come from Brendan. Credit to Steven Gerrard. Whatever it is he says at halftime is clearly having an effect on his players because they came out for the second half against uh, City last week and looked vastly improved. They came out again here and looked vastly improved. Konza with a really good header to make it 2-1. Both sides had chances from there. Emi Martinez made one incredible save to to keep um, keep out Harvey Barnes late on. Casper uh, Schmeichel made a couple of decent saves. But Casper Schmeichel got all the luck in the world in the first half. Now, uh, rem- remember, Villa were playing really poorly. And yet somehow were 1-1. And should have been 2-1 up. Which is a really good sign for them. This is not a criticism of them. They're playing badly and should have gone in 2-1 up. Which tells you everything you need to know about Leicester right now. Jacob Ramsey scores a perfectly legitimate goal. And it's ruled out because the ball 
is on the ground and Casper Schmeichel puts one hand on it. One hand, not two hands. There is no way he can make an argument that he's in full control of the ball. None at all. And Ramsey puts it in the back of the net. I don't know what VAR was doing. I really don't know what VAR was doing. But there's no way that goal should have been ruled out. Ramsey was denied a perfectly good goal here. But Villa deserved their win. Leicester deserved absolutely nothing. Villa go 10th in the league. So that's three wins out of four under Gerrard. Whether this is actual impact or new manager bounce, we'll, we'll wait and see. But either way, this is where Villa should have been. This is why Dean Smith was sacked. This team is capable of this. They're capable of being a mid-table or higher team. There's a lot of good players there. It does show you, though, how, how weird the league is. That a team can go from just hovering above the relegation zone into 10th with a couple of wins. But everybody's form has been so sketchy. Like, you look at Wolves, no wins in three. Brighton, no win since mid-September. Leicester, one win in five. Brentford, one win in five. Palace, no wins in four. Leeds, one win in five. Southampton, no wins in four. Everton, no wins in five. Watford, one win in five. Burnley, no wins in four. Newcastle won their last one, hadn't won 14 before that. Norwich were appalling through 10 games. Then went four without a defeat, two wins, two draws, and actually got off the foot of the table. This league is so strange. It's so tight. But Villa go ahead of Leicester uh, on account of having a slightly better goal differential, minus three as opposed to minus four. Both have negative uh, goal differences. Um, 24 goals conceded by Villa. That has improved under Gerrard, obviously. Leicester's defence is just, it's so bad. For something that's had quite a lot of money spent on it and been in place for so long and actually was really good before Brendan took over, it's disappointing. Uh, for all his talk of and telling people that he's on a shortlist, and you know, because that's where that's come from. The idea that Brendan's on a shortlist at Man City has come from Brendan. Um, he, he may be lucky to see out this season with Leicester. If he continues to fail, as he is this season, they will think about sacking him if they find there's a better option out there. If they feel like he's not worth the hassle, they will move on from him, no matter what he won for them last season. They sacked Claudio five months, seven months after they won the league. I think seven months after. Something like that. They won the league and sacked him. Didn't win the league under Brennan, just the FA Cup. And their Champions League window is closing. It may already be closed. They're eight points behind West Ham. Now, admittedly, a couple of wins could see them catapult up the league. But they don't look like stringing wins together. They really don't look like winning stringing wins together. They've lost six times already this season. Only five wins. They can't defend. And they're not scoring enough to make up for it. Anyway, that's the games wrapped up. We do have Everton versus Arsenal tonight. Big news out of Everton over the weekend. Marshall Brands resigns his post. Uh, the more you hear about it, the more it seems like he was hired, told his role will be one thing, and he's just largely been ignored. Whether it's that, whether that's people trying to protect him or not, I don't know. But it doesn't speak well of Everton Football Club. It really does not speak well of Everton Football Club. But he is gone, and he is rightly gone, because if he was making the decisions, he was making terrible decisions. If he wasn't the one making decisions, why is he at the club? Simple as that. Why is he at the club if he's not the one making the decisions. Uh, let's have a look at Gart Crooks's team of the week then. Ederson in goal. Really? Ederson in goal. 
How many shots did Watford have at the weekend? Can't have been more than like three. Four. So he made three saves and was deemed worthy of man of the match. And he should have, yeah, as Guy says, he should have saved their goal. So that's a no. Um, he's gone for he's gone for Davinson Sanchez because he scored. Jamal Lachelle's because Newcastle finally won a game, even though Fabian Shaw was better than him in the game. And Esri Konza because he scored two. Um, I'm not having Davinson. I'm sorry. Van Dijk was brilliant at the weekend. Davinson wasn't particularly good. And if Norwich had taken their chances, Davinson would have been to blame for at least one of the goals. Uh, in midfield, he's gone for Bowen. He's gone for Silva, Bernardo Silva. He's gone for Fred, because he scored. And he's gone for Raheem Sterling as a left wing back, despite the fact Raheem Sterling played up front for City. So that's nonsense. We're definitely not accepting that. No chance. I'll take Fred. He played well. Bernardo's been brilliant. And Bowen, according to, to West Ham fans, had the best game of his career. So, you know, that was an 8 out of 10 performance. And West Ham fans are saying it's the best of his career. Which will tell you how he normally is. Uh, Salah, Origi and Callum Wilson. Salah had a dreadful game. Probably his worst game of the season. Origi... I know he scored. He doesn't belong in the team of the week. Wilson, whatever. But one, two, three. I'm taking Umbridge with five of the selections this week. Ederson, Davinson, Sterling, I don't mind being in the team, but certainly not as a left wing back. Put him in the front three. Salah shouldn't be in the team. Why? What has he said about Salah? Uh, this was a spirited form performance by Wolves. He seemed to have found their way under a new manager. That said, if Bruno Lage trying to convince me that his player who lost the ball 10 yards to the conflict. Yeah, well, like Salah did create the goal, but my God, no. He doesn't belong in the team of the week. No, no, no. You are wrong in many ways, once again, Mr. Crooks. It's gossip time. Let's run through. Manchester City are tracking Dusan Vlahovic. Not hard to do. He's scoring goals by the bucket load. Just keep your ear out. You'll hear roars coming from Florence. Barcelona have held talks with Ferran Torres. Um, they have no money. They're not signing him. They have no money. Jean Laporte is fine. I said the club finances means they cannot make any signings. But yet ESPN want you to think they're in negotiations for a fella City allegedly wants 70 million for. Uh, Bill Kenwright has called an emergency board meeting with the future of Rafa Benitez. Had to be discussed. As it turned out, no, it wasn't. That's just the mirror talking utter rubbish. Uh, Renato Sanchez is interesting. Liverpool, no, he's not. Um, Jurgen Klopp has hinted Nat Phillips could leave. Everybody knows that he could leave, that he should leave. Jonathan David is on Arsenal's radar, according to the London Evening Standard. It's Simon Collins. I don't know who he is. It was Chris Wheatley, I'd say fine. Don't know who that is. Um, Arsenal wing up a move for Zen St. Petersburg's Iranian striker, Sardar Ousman. Um, he's not Premier League quality. He's not Premier League quality as a starter. No, I'm sorry. You don't. It's not what you need either. Uh, Christian Eriksen is close to terminating his contract with Inter Milan because he's not allowed to play in Italy with his pacemaker. So he is going to have to move on. And Inter apparently are agreeable to uh, allowing him to leave on. I think they can claim the cost of him back under their insurance or something. Uh, Real Madrid are convinced they will sign Kylian Mbappe. Meanwhile, Real are preparing to sell Isco. Um, I don't know who they're going to sell Isco to unless Newcastle gets silly, but it is time for Isco to move on. Manchester United could approach New England Red Bulls Austrian coach Gerhard Struber 
to be Ralph Ranick's assistant. Um, is he going to walk away from a job as a manager in his own right to be an assistant for six months? Or would this be during the off-season of MLS? I have doubts. Uh, he's also not a very good manager. It's worth pointing out. He was terrible at Barnsley. He has not been good for New York Red Bulls. Another of Ranić's former pupils, Jesse Marsh, sacked by Red Bull Leipzig at the weekend. Uh, Aston Villa's midfielder, Carney Chukwemeka, needs to be realistic and stay at the club, says Danny Mills. Yeah, because Danny Mills is always the person you should listen to about everything. Uh, Frankie de Jong will not be leaving the club in January, not be leaving Barcelona in January. I think for the right offer, he definitely leaves because I think Barca are desperate for money. Eddie Howe says Dwight Gale is in his plans. I doubt it. Wrexham are lining up a move for Jack Wilshire. Good. I hope Jack Wilshire gets to go and play football somewhere. But I mean, if I was him, I'd be probably aiming to go to America or something. I mean, you're, you're Jack Wilshire. You shouldn't really be schlepping around in you know, non-league or the lower leagues. You should be playing in a decent league with a bit of fandom about it. Uh, Newcastle have prioritised signing Jesse Lingard. Right. Outstanding. Congratulations. Uh, new Newcastle boss Eddie Howe wants to sign Kieran Trippier, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky. So he wants to sign his Burnley defence, basically. Um, oh, except for Tarkovsky. I don't think he was there. I think he's a, a dice signing. Everton could make a move for former Chelsea and Manchester United boss Jose Mourinho if they decide to sack Rafa Benitez. Who writes this stuff? Seriously, who who writes this stuff? Everton boss Benitez is open to selling Jordan Pickford and should be. Everton should actively be open to selling Pickford and get as much money as they can and then buy a real goalkeeper. Aston Villa and Scotland midfielder John McGinn has been identified by Manchester United as a replacement for Paul Pogba. I doubt it. Uh, Borussia Dortmund chief Michael Zork has admitted Erling Haaland can leave the club under certain conditions, that being his buyout clause then. Barcelona are willing to offer Usman Dembele, Samuel Umtiti, Phil Coutinho and Clement Langley as part of a deal for Ferran Torres. But City are not keen on them. And here's why they're not keen. Umtiti, years past his best, always injured. Coutinho, years past his best, always injured. Dembele, always injured. Clement Longley, not very good. Of course Man City don't want these players. Tottenham have joined Manchester United and Newcastle United in wanting to bring in Dembele, whose contract to Barcelona runs out in the summer. I have doubts. I have doubts that Antonio Conte, one of the world's most demanding managers, is going to want to play Usman Dembele, one of the least hard-working players in European football on a regular basis. Um, allegedly, Manchester United have no interest in Phil Coutinho, but are interested in Frankie de Jong. Right. Uh, Italian club Juventus also want to sign Dembele and Barcelona are not ruling out PSG entering the fray. PSG would sign him because it's a stupid PSG thing to do. Umtiti is considered one option being uh, for AC Milan as they look to reinforce their defence following in, an injury to Simon Kerr. There are other options out there, believe me. Former Chelsea sporting director Michael Imanello has rejected the chance to become director of football at Newcastle. So that's not what he rejected. He rejected the chance to join the board in an advisory role with a view to becoming director of football. But he didn't believe in, in their plans and their vision. So it doesn't sound great at all, to be honest. And by all accounts, Eddie Howe is kind of demanding that he has control over transfers. Arsenal and Tottenham are interested in Dejan, Dejan Kuliszewski and want him on loan with an option to buy. I Maybe Juventus will be stupid, but I, I don't know. Uh, Leeds have agreed a deal with Espanyol to sign Mateo Joseph Fernandez, who's an 18-year-old Spanish forward, qualifies to play for England through his parents. 
Uh, Ray and Nuri's a 30 million target for PSG. Again, who writes this stuff? They just signed Nuno Mendes in the summer, who's a year younger and even more talented. Mikel Arteta says he's open to Yaya Toure gaining coaching experience with the Gunners. Toure is currently working with Tottenham. Interesting. And on then to the last lot of this. France striker Kylian Mbappe has not ruled out staying with PSG. He kind of has. He kind of has. If you listen to what he's actually said, he kind of has ruled it out. Um, he's been very clear about that he wants to go and where he wants to go. So I I think this is all just, you know, a bit of fluff and bluster from PSG to make themselves seem important. Mohamed Salah has reiterated that he wants to stay at Liverpool and the decision lies in the hands of management and they have to solve the issue. Liverpool best get that deal done and get it done quick. Uh, Spain international Fabian Ruiz is a target for Liverpool. Big fan, big fan. Would like to see him at the club. Eric Ten Hag has been linked with a move to Manchester United and says he's ready for the challenge of managing a foreign club. Barcelona will ask Usnaf Luzman Dembele to tell them by the 31st of December if, if he's going to sign a new contract. It doesn't matter if he tells you or not, because on January 1st he can sign a pre-contract to go wherever he wants. Um, Southampton are considering making a move to sign Willy Caballero. He's now 40. I didn't think he was that old. Atletico Madrid are considering a move for Ajax and Argentina defender Nicolas Tagliafico to strengthen their left-back position. He's good. He stayed at Ajax too long, but he is a good player. Uh, Belgian forward Dries Merton says he hopes Napoli will take up the option to extend his contract for the year. He's having a good season. Seems to be enjoying himself as well. Newcastle co-owner Merdad Gudusi has denied the club offered Michael Imanello the sporting director or director football job. Well, they offered him something. That's fairly well known. They did offer him something. Um, Southampton and Norway winger Mohamed El Yanassi, who has been linked with Arsenal and Leicester, says he and his family are settled with the South Coast Club. Good. Good, it's about time that he finally settled there. He's a good player. He's had flashes this season. I think if Ralph is um, is patient with him, I, I think you'll get a good player there. That's it then, folks. That is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, not feeling great. If I seemed a bit weird today or a little bit uh, rambly or not focused, I'm I just not feeling very well. Uh, so apologies for that. But um, hopefully better tomorrow. Anyway. See you then. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.